Hey, folks, I know there are lots of business owners who listen to this show. Maybe some of you never planned on running a business, but now here you are. One thing you've always got to keep in mind is how much you're spending on your operating costs. That's one of the first things we had to keep in mind with WTF. And with things costing more today than they did when we started, you want to keep your expenses down. To reduce costs and headaches, be smart and use NetSuite by Oracle, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. Reduce IT costs, cut the costs of maintaining multiple systems, improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash WTF for more. That's netsuite, N-E-T-S-U-I-T-E dot com slash WTF. All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fuck, Nicks? What's happening? I'm Mark Marin. This is WTF. This is my podcast. How are you? Look, I know it's Thanksgiving. I know, I know. Some of you might might be at home. You might be back home where you come from, back with your family, holed up in your old room. We do this every year, and uh, it's always a little difficult for some people, but uh, I think for some people it's going to be a lot more difficult if they even made the trip because... Well, we had a major election a few years back, but this is another big one. It's very divided, and it's going to be hard for some families to survive it. I mean, obviously not, you know, living, but God forbid, you know, things could get that ugly. But I mean, to survive the emotional bonds of family, no matter how troubled they may are, they may be without this stuff. If there's political divisiveness within the family, whew. Man, it's going to be rough out there for some people. I know it. I'll speak to it as best I can. I'm not going back. I I couldn't go back down. I couldn't go to Florida because of work. But there's a couple of people within the the unit, within the uh, extended family that comes to Thanksgiving that I've always been at odds with. And now it's, uh, you know, it's there's two sides to this thing. There's actually more. It's a lot more nuanced than that, but when it comes right down to it, one side won, the other side didn't. There's a lot of vulnerable, sensitive, thoughtful, uh, progressive people out there that are now uh, just in shock and stunned and more vulnerable because uh, now they have to deal with the aggressive gloating of uh, the other side. And that's hard. It's horrible. Uh, if if I can speak to the nine conservatives who listen to my show, if you have people in your family who are uh, wounded by this situation and are looking down the barrel at uh, four years of the, the to them the 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 best it can be is horrible, and that's not even being cynical for people who believe a certain way. Could I just say to you, few conservatives? who listen to this, who have members of your family that you're going to be seeing today, ease up on the aggressive gloating, the condescension, the infantilizing. Just just ease up, all right? Help out here. 
in this particular situation. Before I get into this too too much, and I don't even know how much to get into it, but to, to speak from where I'm sitting and just to project the possible horrors in terms of uh, arguments and crying and yelling and uh, discomfort that some homes are going to be feeling, you know, I, 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 I can only speculate. But I would like to read, because sometimes, you know, I, I wonder, you know, what my place is as a broadcaster and as somebody that uh, a, a student of the uh, of the human heart and spirit you know when things when, when the chips are down and things get shitty I, I sometimes wonder you know what do I do here I, I know what I do I talk about myself I talk to other people about things that interest me and about their their life but I get this email and, and this is what keeps me going sometimes uh, it's from a guy named Robert. Just says thank you. Hi, Mark. I love your podcast, but that's not why I'm emailing you. I wanted to email you to tell you thank you. Before I go into it, I want to say I'm not doing this to get attention or even to have you read this on the podcast or anything like that. I'm emailing you because you made a difference in my life. I listen to your podcast every week while I work. And I hear about the people who email you to tell you thanks for various things. And I finally worked up the courage to email you. I was going through a rough time in my life when I was introduced to your podcast. I couldn't accept who I was as a person. And it felt like there was a giant hole that couldn't be filled inside. I lost who I was for a long time. And that culminated in a suicide attempt, which led me to being put in a mental hospital for a short time. When I got out, my girlfriend, who I'm still with today surprised me with your book attempting normal because she knew i was a fan of the podcast and your stand-up i love the book so much your book and especially the time you take on each episode to delve into your mind and your honesty about yourself and learning to live with who you are as a person helped me feel okay with who i am it helped me feel like i wasn't alone when i truly felt so isolated and alone that i didn't want to live anymore I can't describe how much relief and hope I felt because someone else, someone who had a real voice, talked about many of the things I was feeling. Sometimes the things you said and the things I've read in your book are actual thoughts I've had. It made a world of difference. And I soon sought help after that, realizing that I couldn't do it alone and I'm a much happier person now because of it. But most of all, you helped me feel like a real person. I truly think you are a special person. And as many people have said, you have a real way of humanizing and getting to the heart and soul of your guests. And something truly special and amazing happens every time you sit down in the garage for an interview. I was born in New Mexico, and I've never really been proud of my home state, but you make me proud to be a New Mexican. I hope this email finds you well. Hope all is well with the cats, and please keep up the great work. Much love, respect, and admiration being sent your way. Robert Boomer lives. So I guess the thing that that, that strikes me is that, you know, there's a lot of people... Feeling isolated, but, uh, you know, and feeling uh, alone or at odds or on the wrong end of the thing and whatever. But you're not. Okay, you're not. And I know going into Thanksgiving, you're going to get beat up and you already were beat up. If you have people with different political views than you, you know who I'm talking to. Let me just get a little business done here. I'm going to be in Chicago on uh, December 3rd. Two shows at the Vic. You can go to WTFPod.com tour slash tour. Uh, I think the first show is kind of sold out. The second show, there's still seats. 
Uh, but it's looking good there, and I love to see. I'm excited to go to Chicago. I like going to Chicago. I, I like performing. Something's happened. I, well, I mean, I've I've always liked it, but now it's like I got to do it. I got to show up for the people that are showing up for deeper reasons than just comedy. It's just the way I feel. Also, new WTF cap mugs are available tomorrow, Black Friday, from Brian Jones up in Portland. These are the same mugs I give to my guests. They go on sale at 12 noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific tomorrow, November 25th. Go to brianrjones.com to get yours. People love these. These are good gifts as well. What else? Well, look, you know, a lot of families are going to be tested. The relationships are going to be tested. It's going to be difficult. Christ, before this election, even football could test relationships and families. And just seeing the people once or twice a year can test it. I mean, it's just, it is. It's it's difficult. And I know some people are entering family situations where they're like, why? Why did you vote the way you did? Why? Why would you vote for that guy? Or why? I thought, you know, I, I mean, I, I thought we had some basic understanding. This is going to be a real test of the love that holds families together. It is. The country is divided, so this is going to be this is going to show up around the turkey. Like, let's say you have a father or a brother, and you're like, "Why the fuck would you vote the way you did?" And just ask yourself: Is there make a checklist for yourself? Are they needy? Are they volatile? Are they self-absorbed? Are they impulsive? Are they thin-skinned? Are they defensive? Are they manipulative? Are they scared of change? And 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 instead of changing, would they make life miserable for other people? To fight that change? Are they set in their ways? Are they horrendously uh, terrified of uh, and, and angry about, uh, about the possibility of losing? Are they stubborn? Now, that's a profile. That could go either way. But if you have a, a hard time understanding why someone would vote the way they did, maybe, maybe look at that checklist and maybe ask yourself, were, the, were they always like that? Does it make sense? Even if you don't agree with it, even if it was a wrong decision, does it make sense for that person. Has that person always been like that? Maybe that'll give you a little wiggle room to hold on to some love for some people that you may hate right now. And in like mothers, sisters, where are do they are they the type of person that that covers up and apologizes for the guy that I just described? All right, well maybe. Maybe have they always been that way? Maybe that'll find you a little wiggle room for acceptance i mean a lot of us are just in the process of accepting the reality of what's happened we've gone through a few stages and and this is like you know you're walking into something that's going to rip open the wound again yeah the wound of losing and the wound of being terrified for the future and believe me the people in your family if they aren't you know horrible evil people they don't know what's going to happen no one knows what's going to happen and they might be glib about it And as I said before, aggressive gloating, condescension, infantilizing, i.e. all those add up in certain instances to just bullying. Hard to deal with. It's going to be rough go. But take some time. If you need to step away, step away. And I say this, you know, outside of politics. I've said it before on Thanksgiving. Step away. Take a walk. Go look at your old hangouts. Drive around. Remember what it was like to be a teenager when you had it all in front of you. Listen to some music. Try to hit a reset. Try to get through it. Try to love despite the anger, if you can. 
Scott Fagan is on the show. It's a very interesting story. Uh, Scott Fagan did a, a sort of masterful album in 1968 called South Atlantic Blues. And it's been dug up and remastered and reissued by uh, St. Cecilia Nose and Light in the Attic Records. And it's a beautiful record, but it's an insane story that, you know, everything was moving in the right direction and uh, shit just didn't go the way it was supposed to. And he was set to wandering after the, the record tanked and then it was resurrected in a very odd way. It's, a, it's an amazing story. Uh, from a very uh, gifted artist with a very unique past. And he's got, he, d- he was reunited with his son who was, um, who he didn't know, he never met, but years and years later, uh, who is uh, Stephen Merritt from Magnetic Fields. And it's so weird because I talked to Scott about it. Like they, he, uh, Stephen knew his father, a musician, a musician, but he didn't know who he was. Until until much he, he met him much later in life, and Scott had mentioned he'll you'll hear it. He mentioned that when he heard the music that his son made, he could hear himself in it. And I listened to the magnetic fields sort of for the first time just the other night because uh, Merge Records sent me their first two albums that they reissued, and um, I can hear it too. It was like genetic. It's fucking trippy, man. But uh, so Scott's going to be on the show in a minute, and it's a it was a, it was a pretty beautiful interview. Uh, because like I'd read an article about this record and I met the guy that uh, found the record and got behind it. And, you know, he told me about the guy and it just was a fascinating thing. I'm fascinated with people that put one thing out there that is beautiful and monumental and then disappear for whatever reason. And to have something kind of be reintroduced. Like I talked to Terry Reed, uh, also a Light in the Attic uh, artist, but like Light in the Attic is a very good label for this stuff. But But this Scott Fagan thing was just... It was fascinating. It was fascinating to talk to him. And the album is beautiful. It's a really, it really is. But that said, uh, you can get the album South Atlantic Blues uh, over at Light in the Attic Records. And this is uh, me uh, talking to uh, the very wise and uh, slightly beat up, but uh, beautiful uh, Scott. Sometimes I wish I paid more attention in school or in some cases, any attention at all. There are probably a lot of things I could have gotten more out of, like literature. And now it's probably not in the cards to go back to school and study the classics. But luckily for us, there's a new podcast called The Foxed Page that dives deep into the best books of all time. This is basically like the best possible college English class, but more relaxed and fun. No pressure of grades or needing to prepare something to say in class. It's only the books you want to read and know about presented by best-selling author Kimberly Ford. Everything from Cormac McCarthy to Madame Bovary, from classics like Frankenstein to modern hits like Lessons in Chemistry. I love Ireland, but I missed the boat on James Joyce. The Foxed Page has a three-part series on Dubliners, and that's a pretty great starting point. Want to get the most out of what you read? The Foxed Page is for you. Get it now wherever you get your podcasts. Hagen. How many days have you been in L.A.? Um, this time, uh, two. Two days? Yeah. How long are you staying? Uh, until Thursday. Do you like coming out here? I, I lived here for a while. I've, I've been what years? through L.A. many, many times. Right? Many yeah. lifetimes. Yeah, yeah. When did, what, what were I the years? first came out in 1972 with my rock opera soon. Right. We did it at the pilgrimage. Uh-huh. I came up 
uh, in 87. Yeah. And uh, I came up to go to UCLA to, to learn program design. I designed a uh, uh, recovery program for the music business. And did it take? It did. Really? It's, what's no, it called? It's called Music Ears. And what's the angle? How does it work? Well, originally, um, you may know that um, I'm guessing that it's true of comedians as well, but uh, most musicians are independent contractors. That's right. No coverage for treatment. Right. The reality, or my reality, is that uh, musicians have a tremendous impact on the society. Yes. If uh, if we're trying to support recovery for the society, yeah. Know, supporting recovery for musicians. I got sober in New York. What uh, year? Uh, 1978. Oh, you're an old-timer. May 24. You know. 1978. That was the day. Chock full of nuts oh, right. on the Upper West Side. <laughs> Having that, sitting there with that coffee at the counter. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, 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 no. Chock full of real nuts, not the coffee <laughs> joint. <laughs> okay. name of the group was Chelsea Chuck. Riverside, okay. but it was better known as Chock, Chock Full full of nuts got it got and it. um and i was elected uh, chairperson yeah within the first year because they could see that i needed it more than most uh-huh anyway so um then i went back to st thomas which is where i'm from the incidence of uh alcohol related deaths in st thomas is uh, uh impressive um in the states texas is the highest yeah alaska's double that yeah. And the Virgin Islands are double Alaska. No kidding. Yeah, yeah. So um, when I was a boy, there was no minimum drinking age. We just drank from the very beginning. And alcoholism uh, is all over the place there. But so, you weren't born there. Um, we went when I was five in 1951. So when you were, uh, we'll get, we'll come back around to the, because I'm sober 17 years myself. Well, good for you, man. Yeah, man. I just had August 9th. 17 good years. For you. Good, good, good for you. Fucking miracle. It, nothing but. <laughs> but, you, you know, the, the, the fascinating thing about your story to me is that, you know, we're in this time where, you know, people are finding new music that's really old music. I was brought up with a certain mindset about, you know, what music was. And, and, and it's, at a certain point in your life, you realize that it's much broader than you ever imagined. So when Chris Campion, the man that, that reissued your record, South Atlantic Blues, told me about you, I was like, all right, that sounds interesting. And then, you, you know, I played this record and I'm like, holy shit, you know, this like this magical music from another time. And uh, these and, are nice things to be hearing, Mark. Oh. <laughs> I appreciate it. Well, I mean, you know, it's it sort of it, it's it's fascinating to me as somebody who is who has struggled in show business as well. Uh, for many years, how to discuss or handle the story and what you went through is uh, it's it's a hell of a tale, man. And 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 you look pretty good. Well, thirty-eight years clean and sober. That helped. Uh, please, I'd have been gone in in nineteen seventy-nine. I'd have been cuffoodled. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So let's talk about New York. So you you were born in New York, but you don't have any real recollection of it. Oh yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. I was were born you? at uh, Bellevue mm-hmm. Hospital, appropriately. Yeah, um, <laughs> my uh, my pop was uh, a tenor man. Uh, oh, really? Sex? Oh, yeah. Like um, real deal, bebop guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Uh huh. We lived on Fifty Second Street, 
It was 1945, 46, 47, 52nd Street, which was jazz right. heaven. That's where all the, 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 the musicians were and the songwriters yep. and everything, right? Yep. So, um, so he came up uh, with Prez. No shit. Lester and, Young? Yes, and uh, Eleonora Fagan. You know who that is? I don't know who that is. I know... Uh, That's Billy Holiday. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. So was he playing with them? Uh, well, he played with them. Sure. Um, he was younger than them, and, uh, and you know, they all had people coming up under them. So uh-huh. he, he was coming up under Lester and... and you know just the influence yeah lester's influence on his horn playing was lester fantastic. was like heavy influence on uh art pepper too art pepper can't shut up about lester young well he was great and, and you know anytime you want to hear something absolutely magical just find sure. some lester young so did you so you grew up in at that time you know hearing your dad practice being part of that people over at the house and uh, sitting in in uh, rehearsal halls my sister and i and on the little folding chairs while they did bebop for hours and hours. Oh, if we weren't God. at the rehearsal hall, we were at the dance studio where my mother and her twin sister were doing modern Afro-Congolese really? outreach. Really? Oh, yeah. So you grew up right in the middle of Bohemian New York in a way. Well, we were very bored, my <laughs> sister. And- <laughs> you, you couldn't appreciate oh, it then. God. <laughs> What are they doing? But, I mean, it was unnatural for us. You know, we, uh-huh. we took very naturally to it. And then um, uh, my pop couldn't resist what were called chippies. <laughs> yeah. Familiar Trippies. with the term? Yeah, well, I think that evolved into groupies. Later. Yes, yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. Sure. Um, so my mother, when I asked my mother, Mud, why get divorce, divorce Frankie? She said, he wanted uh, sunny side up eggs every morning. Oh, but that was Later it. she confessed it was the chippies. <laughs> yeah. And he concurred me. Anyway, we went off to the Virgin Islands with a painter. Oh, like a, what kind? Abstract yeah. realist? Abstract yeah, yeah. painter? Anybody of import? Well, he he eventually came back and, and made a good living as a commercial artist. His name was Justin Fletcher. So he, was, uh, he married uh, your mom? He did not. He uh, came back. Uh, his mother insisted he come back and marry a nice Jewish girl. So he left you guys down and there. That's what he did. Yeah, so he took came you. Back. He took you to the Virgin Islands. No, nah, um, my mother and her twin sister. Yeah. Took him. Oh, okay. Yeah, they <laughs> they'd been on their own since they were sixteen, and you know they they were artsy chicks, and she had a steamer trunk full of seventy eights, and off we went. To it, and that's where you went to St. Thomas. Yes, it it's been an art colony. Uh, yeah, what does that mean? I can't. Years. I can't. I, that, it, it means that. Um, Wait, what was it called? The art colony. Um, it was built around uh, Claude Pissarro. Okay. And abstractionism, uh-huh. and poets. Um, all the well-known poets in those days would come and stay at the hotel eighteen twenty-nine. So this was the the late fifties. Uh, 1951. Oh, but really? it had been in place for 100 years. But when, that's when you got there in 51? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I wonder, was was Derek Walcott around? Not St. Thomas. He's, no, he's from, from Trinidad. I oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I knew that guy at BU. I met that Interesting guy. Interesting fellow. He is. Yeah. And, and a great poet, really. Yeah. But so, 
Trinidad, you know, the archipelago stretches from Venezuela to Key West. Yeah, I'm not good with islands. I've made some pretty embarrassing mistakes <laughs> about about islands. Well, I can get in the wrong island. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So you're a kid. You're at the artist colony. You got one sister. Um, my sister Gail. Yeah, uh-huh. a year and a half older. Now. And your mom and her twin sister, and this guy who doesn't hang around long. Yeah. And then, uh, what's life like? What's your mother doing? Uh, she's a secretary, a legal secretary. Yeah. And a dancer. Uh-huh. Uh, immediately, we're in the art scene there. Uh-huh. Poets and uh, painters and and lots of gay folk. It was uh, um, very attractive for gay people for oh, yeah? many, many years also. Oh, before they could really be out and having uh, a life. Well, no, there everybody there they could, was right. out. That's what I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. So it was a retreat. Yeah. And when did you start playing? Um, I started singing. My pop was a singer also, a mm-hmm. beautiful, beautiful singer. Did you stay in touch with him all through uh, your life or no? Uh, no, there were long blank spaces. Uh-huh. Uh, my mother married uh, eight times. Eight times? Yes. Um, I'm assuming they're not all great guys. Well, they were all alcoholic. Is she alcoholic? Absolutely. Really? Like just... Like, Born and bred. Look, man, we, you know, the right. genetics for alcoholism go back to the first rotten mango <laughs> on both sides. <laughs> you got you it. Know, that's it. You got it, the bug in your blood. That's it. Yeah. Um, so, so things were rough. Right. We were um, the only white children in the public school system uh-huh. for many, many years. Uh-huh. And and uh, basically, uh, she, she was materially challenged. Yeah, uh, we were—I don't like the term "poor," but uh, we were the poorest white folks I had ever seen anywhere. And yeah. to this day, that's the fact. Right. Um, but but um, there was a tremendous amount of love and acceptance. Uh, by local folks. Oh, yeah? La, does the little white boy man come, Louis, feed him something. Gail, come, no. <laughs> so we, it, it was an extraordinary life. Bereft of any material comfort, but uh, lots of hugs, lots of love, lots of acceptance. Um, kind of pure. Very much that. And then later on, I was a homeless uh, teenager and. Uh, so I left high school in the 10th grade. Why'd you leave home? I, I didn't. Home left me. Yeah. Uh, my mother was married to um, um, a local Jamaican dude uh-huh. who, that... who tried to murder me one night. Oh, really? And uh, But uh, you know how it is. Um, uh, people with addiction. Sure. Um, she was strung out, and uh, and he was the light in her life, and... Yeah. And um, though I don't doubt she loved me very much, I was completely confident in that. It's just the way life was in that time. Anyway, so um, quarter to three in the morning, I get up and say, free as egg this. And I hitch out to the East End of the Island and climb in the window of a Puerto Rican family I knew and landed in the laundry pile and... Uh, and uh, they embraced me, and I lived there with them 
hablando nada más que español day and night. Yeah. And um, so so we are fairly multicultural. Yeah, I would say so. And the singing uh, publicly, when does that? So you started as a singer. Um, first public performance uh, was in, uh, in Augusta, Georgia. Yeah. The uh, Masters Tournament. Yeah. So I was up in the States on the road with my pop who had a the tic-tac-toe trio oh yeah <laughs> and they gigged all through the south and yeah. uh, one of their gigs was the masters um some country club there uh so we're in there i'm sneaked in the joint and how uh, old are you 16 so you got back up to the states uh, well i i came back and forth to the states i i actually i stowed away mark uh, yeah uh on uh two Airplane can't do that anymore. Um, yeah, it's a little more difficult. Now, what do you I mean think. you stowed away? You were in an engine or a baggage? No, or? no, no, no. I uh, the first one was Carabere was in St. Thomas. I jumped over the fence, yeah. got on the airplane, which was calling for Harvey McDonald to get on the plane. Right, so right. I'll, I'll be Harvey McDonald. Yeah, yeah. yeah I sat not? down next to a beautiful little chick and said, "If they ask, tell them I'm your husband." Of course we. We were clearly not old enough. Yeah. But she said, okay, this was big adventure. Right. And uh, we flew to Puerto Rico and got off the plane. And uh, in Puerto Rico, um, because I'd lived in Puerto Rico now for a number of years and lived with the Puerto Rican family. So it wasn't clear whether I was Irish or Puerto Rican. Uh -huh. <laughs> yeah. um, and so I ran into... Uh, an old borrachong, an old drinking dude, yeah, with a bottle of rum in a paper bag, who was on his way to Nueva York, yeah, and um, and recognized a kindred spirit. Uh -huh. So we had some rum together, and and then I um, set out to find me next leg of the trip, which uh, uh, went down the stairs out to the tarmac. There was an Eastern Airlines, yeah, being cleaned up and gassed up. I yeah. went on there. And uh, stashed myself in uh, in the bathroom, and um, rolling down the, the the runway. This is flight blah blah. I think I'm going to New York, right, or Miami. <laughs> yeah, bound for Baltimore, Philadelphia. It was November, yeah. and late in November. Yeah. Um, anyway, so I came out and sat down next to a dude who was very nervous, a uh, gay cat who was very nervous that he'd be accused of kidnapping me. Uh -huh. I was a very pretty. Yeah. Um, very pretty kid. Yeah. So he was dead scared uh, that he'd be accused of kidnapping me or, or yeah. molestation. Right. If we got to America. Yeah. Down in the island, that was no concern. Right. <laughs> um, so he ratted you out? No, 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 he no. He was just... Um, scared? He was just yeah. very uptight uh -huh. the entire flight. And you made it, though. I did make it. So uh, we made it to Baltimore, and I and I'm dressed in in dungarees and a flipped out pre psychedelic psychedelic shirt, and I'm brown as a coconut, and I have uh, some no socks and some loafers or something on. Clearly not a Baltimore boy. Yeah. <laughs> and um but the police snagged me thinking that I was a runaway from a, a juvenile home uh -huh. in, in Baltimore. Uh -huh. I had them convinced that I was a Puerto Rican 
who had gotten on the wrong plane was supposed to be going to Miami. Y no hablaba inglés. Oh, yeah. No, no, no puedo hablar inglés. <laughs> um, so I had him about to send me down to Miami, but uh-huh. uh, um, they called me dear mother, and she loved her bonehead boy. <laughs> and uh, he went back? Yeah, they sent me back. So how did you eventually make your way to New York? Um, on a sailboat. I signed on uh, as what we call a bilge rat. And you're you're 16? Uh, no, at 18. I, okay. I, I came. Um, when you could legally do 50, it. 50 foot sloop. Uh-huh. But I, you know, I'd get in trouble um, with the law. I was early onset alcoholism. Yeah. Uh, and I was a little white boy that had to create a reputation. Right. And defend it. Right. Or I'd, you know, I'd be fish meal. Right. Um, so I, so I had a reputation. Um, I was singing. People knew that that I uh, was a gifted singer. And you had a band? Not not yet. Right. A little later. Yeah. I, I put a. We were called the Urchins. And that was in uh, St. Thomas. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, so I was up in the states in uh, Augusta, and um, Pop was playing the thing, and he told somebody, his son Fidel, um, can we speak? Yeah. Germanics on sure. this. We uh, call me Fidel the fucking bomb thrower from the islands. <laughs> yeah. Because I was uh, an advocate for Fidel and, and revolution. <laughs> oh, were you? Yeah. Oh, no, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're an early radical. Oh, yeah. Radical commie. Oh, well, yeah, you know, he didn't play this comic card yeah. until a little later. Yeah. He, he overthrew Bautista, who was a bad guy. Yeah. And and the whole exploitive society, man, it was terrible. Yeah, and and lots of those folks wound up in Miami and are the right wing, sure, uh, down in Miami. Yep. So in the early times, young dudes were thinking, oh yeah, this is this is a great change for Cuba and the yeah. people there. Anyway, so we're we're there in Augusta and Georgia, Georgia. Yeah, yeah, at the Masters tournament, right. And uh, so my pop told this guy, oh, yeah, Fidel's a great singer. He says, yeah, let me hear him sing something. Uh-huh. I'll give him $20 if he'll sing. So so uh, I pretended to be able to pay, play the stand-up bass. Yeah. And I could fake it fairly well. And uh, so I sang uh, I Left My Heart in San Francisco. Really? Yeah. Playing the bass yeah. with, the, with the trio, and yeah. the guy gave me $20. Uh-huh. That was it. Yeah, that, you were in. Easiest money I ever made in my <laughs> life. And uh, the waitresses were winking. And, uh-huh. Oh, man. You were like, this going. is it. Music's this the ticket. It. This is it. So you go back, you start a band? Um, yeah, a trio uh, called the Urchins. And what kind was that? Uh, what, what was the music? Well, my favorite group was the Drifters. Oh, yeah. Benny King. Sure, yeah. Um and there was an awful lot of Chalypso and Latin influence in that. There was, yeah. Um, like uh, Under the Boardwalk? Uh, Under the Boardwalk is one of theirs, but it's at the way end, after Benny King had left. Oh, it is. So what the, what, was Stand By Me uh, uh, Benny uh, King? Stand By Me was Benny King, yeah. Spanish Harlem. Oh, yeah. This Magic Moment oh, yeah. saved the last dance for oh, me. Oh, my God. Young Boy Blues. Yeah, yeah. F- fabulous stuff. On Broadway. Oh, I'm getting choked up. Up on I, the roof. Oh, my God. Yeah. So many. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, so the little 
But in Ireland, Mark, yeah. we had one radio station. Sure. It had to play music for everyone. So our our station played hillbilly music, mm-hmm. um, Voice of America, Army brass bands. So it was a big expat, uh, expat community down there? That, that, a fairly large one, uh-huh. but not just American. I mean, yeah. there, there, there were Europeans. Right. And, and the VI, St. Thomas in particular, been a crossroads because of the harbor mm-hmm. forever. Right. So all of that, all of those are my musical influences, and you'll hear it in in the work I do in the oh, writing. Yeah, I I, yeah on, on yeah. South Atlantic Blues, like every every the horn section, you got calypso, and then you got yeah. the R and B horns, yeah, yeah. and then you got the sort of trippy kind of lyrical way you sing. Like yeah. it's all infused. That like what's really amazing on the record is that you can hear Benny King in yeah. you, yeah, right. Those spaces. Yeah. 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 So, Benny King was just a master phraser. My pop yeah. was a master phraser, and and I've tried to, you know, to make it a sort of specialty. So, so you're playing that kind of stuff with the urchins. With the, that yeah. and folk. Right. You know, where have all the flowers gone? Sure. As an R&B sort of... <laughs> Rocking it up a little? Yeah, yeah. I um, caught the eye of a sort of wonton wench. Um, <laughs> at a place called Duffy's. Yeah. and um, Down there. So she, um, we bumped lips and and hips and uh, resulted in, in a child, uh, Stephen, who I had no idea existed. Until Stephen recently. Stephen Merritt. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, From the that magnetic was, field. Yeah. So that was a one night that you were how old? 18? Um, 17. 17. Yeah, yeah. And you... But you had it like, wasn't a one night. No, oh, no. no uh, um, we we were together for a few months, maybe. Okay, not long enough to know you had a a kid coming. Oh no. Uh huh. No, no. Um. Anyway, so she went back to the states. The other people from the uh, urchins went back, and and I signed signed on as a deckhand on uh, on the success to get up there primarily to, uh, heading for the states. Yeah. You yeah. couldn't just go because your your dad couldn't get you in. You had to, you know, you you had to figure out how to to work to get up there. What was the idea? Well, I'd gone back and forth. Yeah, so many times, um, either on his dime or my mother's dime, yeah. or or stowing away. Like yeah. I told you, um, that uh, he was sort of tired of me coming and going. I mean, every time I came up, he thought, "Well, Fidel's." Gonna go to school and get real, but I was real, and uh, we were just in an entirely different reality the, in the islands. The, right. Um, so, so I I came up on the success and got a gig singing in uh, Fort Lauderdale, uh, House of Pegasus. A, a small group of girls formed a Scott Fagan fan club uh-huh. and scribbled up fifty dollars and bought me a bus ticket to New York. No kidding. So, so, oh yeah, God you had that. You were a charmer. I was very pretty, and I sang <laughs> yeah. really sweetly. Yeah, and that'll do it. And 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 I liked them, and they liked me, and yeah. that was the whole story. Yeah. Um, and maybe there was some sure jealousy in the fan club, and maybe the best thing to do is get rid of this guy. Yeah. <laughs> send get send him to money. New York. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway, so. Um, they did that, and uh, my mother had a friend 
who had a friend of a friend of uh, the ex-wife of a cousin-in-law or something, whose friend wrote songs sometimes with uh, a guy named Doc Pompous or something. Uh, Doc Pompous, (laughs) yeah. So, uh, and uh, she said, take this phone number and call when you get to New York. And and I wasn't inclined to do anything that an adult suggested, but I took the number with me. Not knowing who Doc Pompous was. No. Uh-huh. Although I, I had I had a Benny King album sitting there. Right. I, I never could've. looked at who wrote anything. <laughs> yeah. So I get there and I call this number. Yeah. And he says, oh, okay, come on over. Uh, let me see what you got. This is the guy, not Doc. No, this is Doc. Oh, you got Doc's number yeah. and you call him up. All right. Yeah, that's the number my mother gave me was, was Doc Doc's Pompous. number. Yeah. No kidding. Doc Pompous. That's what it is. That's what um, you called him? Well, I did three times before I really <laughs> got the correction. Now, where was he when you went to see him? Um, at the Forest Hotel on 49th Street, uh, just across the street from the Brill Building. And he was a big presence, that guy, right? He was a big presence. Yeah. So uh, he, literally, also. He, right. Uh, yeah. He was sitting naked in the middle of a huge double bed. Yeah. Wrapped up in a toga. Yeah. I, I mean, a sheet. That really? Looked, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Smoking a cigar? Probably. Yeah. So he you, so he says, come on, let me see what you got. Let me see what you got. So there's a piano bench at the end of the bed. Yeah. Uh, where Mark Schumann had written all these melodies and blah, blah. And his writing partner, right. Wurlitzer right behind him there. and The hits. They wrote everything. this magic moment, oh, right? Oh, God. They wrote Teenager in Love. Oh, yeah. Viva Las Vegas. Yeah. Las Vegas, Little Sister. All kinds of stuff. Anyway, let me see what you got. So I sit there. And I have my little guitar, and I sing him three songs. And uh, at the end, he says, uh, takes a beat, mm, tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to sign you to personal management. Uh, I'm going to sign you to the production company. Go downstairs and tell them to give you a room. Come on back here. Let's get started. Really? Just like that. And you were, what, 19? Uh, a few days into 19, yeah. And you had no, at that moment, you still didn't know who you were reckoning with. Well, um, not really. Uh huh. I, I understood now that Doc um, was an important songwriter, but I, I had no idea of the depth of the catalog. Uh, and I, I didn't know anything about his partner, Mort Schumann. Yeah. And Mort and I became very close, and Doc and I were very close. Um, no, it, it, I lived in a magical parallel universe, down in the islands, uh, on the sailboat with chicks. Yeah, blah blah blah. Right, you were like pre hippie, uh, free free liver. Well, we were definitely free spirits. Yeah, uh, and uh, uh, these were maybe the earliest days of hippie dumb. And yeah. Duffy's was hippie central. Right. Uh, for the Caribbean. Right. Uh, uh, just a fantastic place. So as the relationship evolves, so you get to work, you get your room, you, you, you get your management, you get to your whatever. Uh, so when... Uh, did- uh, I, th- I thought, of course, this is the way it's supposed to happen. Of course it happened like this. Sure. Oh, yeah, I got a little lucky. But anyway, uh, I had no idea what a score so how did the relationship evolve between you know you and doc and mort i mean you go up there and when did it start become apparent to you what did you learn well he said go get the room and come back here let's get started yeah 
So that's what I did. I mean, I uh, I put my little suitcase down in there, and yeah. basically sand and rocks in it, <laughs> and came back. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> and uh, Doc was the central attraction in the Forest Hotel. Uh-huh. Uh, he sent me over to he the lived there. building. Yeah, he did. Yeah. Uh, this is the build. This is the hotel that Damon Runyon lived in. Okay, also. you know Damon Runyon. Yeah, and he's right across from the Brill Building. Um, let's go over there. Um, so I went over up to the uh, Hill and Range. Uh-huh. Paul Case was the professional manager there. Uh huh. Um, go introduce yourself to Paul Case. Blah blah. Let him show you around. Come back over. Um, if Doc was um, at a writing session. I was to participate in that. If there was a song to be demoed, I was the guy that uh, sang it and sang it. Yeah, yeah. They wanted me to get uh, accustomed to working in the studio right away. You know, studios can be fairly stressful. That clock is on the wall. Yeah. They got an hour. You better come out of here with three tunes. Is the studio in the Brill Building? No, uh, at Associated, um, above the Metropole. Metropole was a... Uh, interesting jazz bar on uh-huh. Seventh Avenue. Yeah, um, upstairs was Associated Sound. So, uh, lots of those hits were were originally done there. Most of the uh, the 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 Pumice and uh, Schumann hits were done there, and and what Lieber and Stoller and stuff. All of them. Yeah. So, uh, what was actually going on in the Brill Building when you went over there? I mean, this is what year is this? Nineteen sixty four. Oh my God. Uh, October. Late September. October. And when you went over there, was it? What, did you feel the juice? I mean, was there a lot going? Oh yeah, yeah. You know, I Lieber and Stoller wrote every tune that Doc and Morty didn't write. Right, and Carol King, and Goffin, that, and King. That, that Goffin and King didn't write. Right. So they were they were all over there. Yeah, yeah. And um, Neil and, Diamond. Well, Neil came a little later. Oh, okay, okay. Um, and it wasn't with Goffin and King. It was had a different producer, okay. another uh, male female songwriting mm-hmm. team. I'm not, I'm not can't re- remember recollecting right now. So those are, those are the power players, certainly of the the late fifties, right? And um, and uh, and Jerry Ragavoy. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jerry wrote "Cry, Cry, Baby." Yeah, yeah. Uh, wrote "Peace of My Heart." Oh my God. Um, Boy, so, Janis Joplin just tore that one up. Oh huh? yeah, yeah, holy yeah, yeah, shit! Yeah. So um, very quickly, um, I came in with the title uh, "Cry Till My Tears Run Dry," um, and Doc said, "Okay, come on, let's write it." And so Doc and Mort and I wrote this "Cry Till My Tears Run Dry." Uh, Jerry Ragavoy arranged and produced it with Irma Thomas. Um, and that was a you right were on off the bat. and that was a you were part of the writing crew. It was well, you. Yeah, and it was my Doc title and, and and my contributions. Yeah, God bless them, man. They got me right into it. Oh, and uh, it's a wonderful, wonderful record. You'll hear it sometime. Yeah, uh, Linda Ronset did it not long ago. Beautiful recording. And this is you at Good. what twenty years old? Nineteen. Nineteen years yeah. old. Yeah, yeah. You penned a, a tune with Doc Pumice and Mort Schumann. Well, I was living in the bushes before I got on that sailboat. I know. This is just months ago. 
Yeah, because like if you listen to the album, if you listen to South Atlantic Blues, I mean the the current of that style of songwriting alongside the calypso stuff and and some of the other beats that you pulled up, you know, from the Caribbean, I mean there is a structure there that you must have learned from them. That's because what I did, I learned that structure um, from Doc and Mort. Um, I you know when you're a young songwriter. Um, you get a little idea for a song, uh-huh. and you try to follow it, and, yeah. and you're following the song. Yeah, you're not clear about uh, the beginning. You don't know anything about a middle. Yeah, and God knows where it's going to end. <laughs> yeah. Um, and and so they taught me very quickly. Well, when did those songs start coming together, South Atlantic Blues? Because that's the I album I started writing it right there in in uh, at the Forest Hotel. Okay, the first song that I worked on there was the song South Atlantic Blues. Okay, and those were songs that you were getting feedback from Doc and yeah. and, and working a little bit with Mort? Um, Mort and I wrote a tune on, on the album uh, Crystal Bowl. Okay. Um, the others are mine. I, I co-wrote a couple with uh, a young uh, melody man that uh, had been sent over to work with Doc. Uh, Mort spent half of his year in England with Andrew Oldham and those folks. And the Stones? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And and all kinds of other folks. Um, there's a whole English music business then that Mort, sure. Mort was part of. No kidding. And he'd come back and, uh, and, and so Mort and I were much closer together in age. And, and when the split came, Doc, uh, Doc's wife, uh, uh, Doc and his wife were having trouble, and yeah. Doc's personal life took his attention for quite a while. And uh-huh. and my mother was homeless in Miami. My younger brothers were in foster care, and and I was there to uh, do good work and change the world, but by God, um, rescue them. Yeah. So I couldn't friggle around i you know I, I so that was your drive i gotta make some money to save my family pressure. yeah 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 so um so mort and i were writing together and and joe kakoulis yeah um a really uh wonderful kid from new haven yeah uh actually is uh his name was uh silvio martinez uh-huh. his mother was uh, a native american from Venezuela, uh-huh. illiterate, who'd found her way to the States and married a Greek dude yeah. named Kakoulis. So, I like the name Kakoulis. So they had changed um, Jose Silvio Martinez to Joe Kakoulis. Uh-huh. Um, so Joe and I were, were writing partners, and uh, uh, you know we were up and down the street. You, you'd hustle a tune here, there, the next place, get a $50 advance on it. Yeah, hope they did something with it, and uh, and get immediately to work writing another one. And there were seven or eight publishing companies we could hustle tunes to. And and you didn't get uh, credit. Oh yeah, no, no, you no, no. We knew that we. Uh, um, you do not sell your songs. You you take an advance against royalties. So you making money doing that? Fifty dollars a tune. Yeah. Um, we're living on the floor of uh, a publishing company of 57th Street. Yeah. Uh, I'm not allowed in there because clearly I'm a rascal. Yeah. So when uh, Bob Hilliard uh, company, Bob is the guy that wrote this fantastic song, Any Day Now. 
Oh, yeah. By Chuck Jackson. Yeah. Um, anyway, when Bob came, I had to hide in the closet. To, <laughs> um, and at night, we'd come out and sleep. All we had to eat was a bottle of tequila. Uh-huh. Anyway. Fortunately. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so, so it was good. So we wrote a bunch of really good tunes um, that for South Atlantic Blues for the album. So now once you got all the songs for the record, what was the life of the record? Well, I was, um, for, we had all these songs. Yeah. And uh, I'm living at uh, the Earl Hotel down the village, which is where people that make very little money live. Well, you got off the floor at the publishing house. Yeah. Uh-huh. Moved up. Yeah, moved up <laughs> to um, an SRO. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and gigging at a place called the Cafe Gogo. Oh, sure, yeah. Anyway, there were three of us um, regulars at the Cafe Gogo. Yeah. Uh, there was Richie, uh, there was Jimmy James and the Blue Flames. That's Jimi Hendrix before <laughs> Chaz Chandler grabbed him. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so we're all working at the Cafe Gogo. You get $5 a night. One night, Howling Wolf comes through, and I told you I'm not a fanboy. Right. Uh, just, I'm, I'm just not. I mean, I'll be a fan for Frankie Lyman. Yeah. Um, I'll be a fan for Billy Holiday. Got it. Um, but generally, sure, that's not my orientation. Yeah, I'm, I relate. So, so Howlin' Wolf comes through. Yeah. And does Smokestack Lightning. Oh, you know that tune? Sure, man. So, so after I, I actually decide I'm going to go thank him and congratulate him. <laughs> Yeah. So I go, Mr. Wolf, and he's a giant, you know. Yeah. Like nine feet tall or something. <laughs> yeah, I think so, yeah. And uh, and and, his, and he sticks his pinky out, which is the size of my wrist. <laughs> yeah. And uh, that's what you're supposed to grab and uh-huh, shake. That, uh-huh. That's shaking hands. Yeah. Um, so I, I did that, and of course that cured me for being a fanboy for another 10 years. <laughs> Shaking Helen Wolf's pinky. Yeah, 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 <laughs> with gratitude. <laughs> yeah. So we're at uh, Cafe Gogo, and uh, uh, Herb Gart, um, a manager, mm-hmm. uh, folk rock, folk comedy, comes in, and, and um, after my set, he comes over to me and says, Scott? I've got this guy, that guy, blah blah blah. Yeah. Um, and if you sign with me, yeah, you'll be bigger than Presley in six months. Yeah. And I manage Buffy St. Marie, so bigger than Presley was interesting to me. Yeah. But I was a little skeptical about it. <laughs> about but when he <laughs> said he had Buffy St. Marie, yeah, that was it. Just where to sign? So. <laughs> You loved her. Oh, my God. Are you familiar with it? I'm familiar with it, but not in that way. I mean, it was before my time, and maybe I didn't didn't know what the magic was. So I don't have have an experience with it. Well, she was a really interesting singer. Uh Uh-huh. She's a person that wrote Universal Soldier and and Codine and a bunch of stuff. But it wasn't her singing. Yeah. Uh, she's a Native American, I think a, a Cree. Uh-huh. The girl is fantastic. Yeah. C- completely magical looking. Yeah. The sexiest looking chick to me. Yeah. Oh, my, with a wonderful, shapely bottom. I uh-huh. mean, 
Uh-huh. Uh, so it I wasn't all I'm, about the singing. Oh, Lord. <laughs> <laughs> so she was a great singer, too, but yeah. I'm confessing. Yeah, I hear you. That uh, it was way more primitive for me than uh-huh. that. So her manager approaches you. And says, in six months, I'll be bigger than Elvis Presley. And you said, where do I sign? And I, and I well, when he said I, got, I managed Buffy yeah. St. Marie, yeah. right. the idea that I might Hang be in the therapy. office with her. <laughs> yeah, that's what, that's what drove you. Oh, yeah. It, did, it drove me a lot. I have to confess, an awful lot of my work has been driven by uh, affection for wenches mm-hmm. and vice versa. Uh-huh. Do you anyway. call them wenches to their faces? Well, with love. Yeah, okay. I call them everything. <laughs> they can call me anything. Yeah. How, um, how many times have you been married? Well, I have five children with four women. Uh-huh. Four different women. I've been married once. Okay. Uh, but this is how we do it in the islands. Uh-huh. That is how you do it. Um, so you signed with him? I signed with him, and, and we got to work on South Atlantic Blues. Yeah. So Herb was the executive producer for mm-hmm. South Atlantic Blues. Um, he brought in Elmer Gordon mm-hmm. to uh, to produce it. So we're we're in there, and uh, and Elmer has this beautiful redheaded girl that's coming to rehearsals. Yeah, I'm going down to Waverly Place, meeting Elmer. We're working out vocal stuff. Mm-hmm. And, I, you know, I ran off with Elmer's girlfriend. Good, good move. Just for the night. <laughs> yeah. Just for the night, Elmer. Okay. okay. Anyway, that so. That was the redhead? Oh, God. Yeah, beautiful, beautiful <laughs> New York girl. Um, the so, producer's girlfriend. Yeah, man. Right. Look, yeah. hey, Mark. Look, music's music, buddy. Yeah. I hear you. And you're not going to. Yeah. They're going to say, boy, I spoke to the smartest guy in the world the other day, Scott Fagan. <laughs> um, anyway, You're so, not alone, and I'm not sure it's dumb. It just is what it is. Man, the, just in those days, yeah. just the slightest hint of passion would take over. Sure. The, yeah, it's not happening anymore? Well, it, <laughs> it, it takes a little more passion for me to lose <laughs> my mind now. Uh, anyway, so um, so I humble myself with Elmer, and Lord Almighty, we get back to a working relationship. No shit. Yeah. Um, Elmer's committed to the music and committed to doing the job. And, That's some dude. Yeah, yeah, he was really something. And then another chick comes into the picture. Now, whose wife was this? A beautiful blonde <laughs> woman from Ohio. Mm-hmm who was Elmer's real crush. She'd run off from her husband to come see Elmer, and and um, we wound up together. Oh, Elmer takes another shot. So... Uh, <laughs> what happened after that one? Oh, God. <laughs> so she decides she's going back to Ohio yeah. and does, and... Yeah. So I have to try and reconcile with Elmer again. How many how many weeks were between these two? Uh, just a couple of weeks because there was the imperative of finishing the record. <laughs> You're not making it easy. No. Anyway, <laughs> so uh, yeah. So I say to Elmer, "Don't bring any more women around." <laughs> and I say, "Elmer, well, what can I do to make it up to you?" Yeah. We we went to see Janis Joplin together at the Anderson Theater. Uh huh. 
Uh, maybe it's 1967. Oh, so. wow. So what can I do to make it up to you, Elmer? And he looks at me in this dark, scary visage. Yeah. I said, what can I do? He said, kill your fucking self. I said, well, I know I'm not going to do that, but yeah. I really am sorry. <laughs> anyway, so so we have to give Elmer a special consideration. Thanks for for overcoming his outrage and broken heart and, and doing such a good job with South Atlantic He Blues. continued on. He did. Is he, he still did. around? No. Uh-huh. No, and, you know, we... We became great friends, and uh, uh, we were great friends. Uh, just, I mean, he—I guess he knew. Look, uh, I, you know, I can't explain it other than realistically. Um, I would follow a chick anywhere. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, period. Yeah, it happens. Um, so, so you finished the record. We finished the record. Beautiful record. Um, and you both know it's special. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Most folks around are thinking this is this is, this is it. really good. So um, Apple Records is holding it. So they're trying to decide between South Atlantic Blues and James Taylor's <laughs> right. uh, first album. Yep. And, um, and it's going on and on and on and on. And um, there's, uh, there's another... A very hot label at the time, um, Verve Forecast, uh-huh. which is the folk rock label. Yeah, and Jerry Ooh. Schoenbaum is the president of that label. Who's on that label? All of them. Uh-huh. All of all of them. Tim Harden. Oh, all of them. The Blues Project. Everybody. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so Jerry Schoenbaum is the head of the label. He says, "I'm." I want the record. I'm going to be the new president at uh, Atco, and I want to take the record with me. It'll be my first release at Atco. They were do they did the Stones records and uh, and the Drifters were on Atco oh, and Benny King. So your guys, I'm yeah. signed with them. You yeah, know? yeah. Fuck Apple. Um, we um, we got to move. You know. Yeah, yeah, sure. And um, and God bless the Beatles, but brother, I'm not a fanboy, and yeah. I'm, I'm not that <laughs> impressed. No pinky shaking with John, Paul, George, and Ringo. Well, we'll shake hands. I'm not sure. shaking pinkies yeah. with, with them. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And I'm not waiting. I mean, I yeah. can't wait. The imp- my brothers are in foster care. Yeah. My mother's a homeless woman in Key West or, yeah. or Dinner Key or right. wherever. Yeah. So we signed with Atco. And uh, and and it's a thrill. I mean, this is really going to be something. And he loves the record. And bang, Jerry never comes to turn on his own contract after you signed with Atco. So boof, he's gone off to California to land where I don't know. Did he apologize? Well, I've never seen him again. No I mean, shit. He probably felt bad about it. So Jerry's gone. So our album is now stuck with uh, with Atco, mm-hmm. um, and no support. Well, no. I mean, uh, the the last thing anyone's going to do is promote the previous the the other guys, the guy that wasn't ever there. Yeah, yeah. And plus, they have their own favorite right. projects. So, 
you get lost in the mix. So well, it was released, but um, there was no there was no promotion. Blah oh, blah blah. God. Anyway, uh, so where were that how'd happens? You feel? I yeah, mean, no, that sure. Happens. I've heard it. I've yeah, heard it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so I felt, of course, deeply upset about it. Um, you think, gee, am I ever going to be able to write this many good songs again? Yeah. Am I ever going to get another deal? And I can't re-record any of these songs for seven years and blah, blah, blah. And our advance against royalties stopped and blah, blah. So so no money, no tour, no, and, and no and movement. And a baby. And a baby, and no movement on record. Two siblings in foster care, mother is homeless, yeah, and yeah. a baby. Yeah. Holy shit. So, um, so fortunately, we'd interested uh, Bill Krasilowski, who was a, it was a lawyer that wrote this business of music one and two and three um, a great great lawyer yeah. aretha's lawyer also yeah. um and he got a deal for us um at tommy volando music tommy volando was uh, a big musical show publisher uh-huh so um so we're signed as writers there uh, joe and i musicals well we're gonna write songs um, within the first uh, week or so, um, the professional managers, that's uh, Jay Morgenstern and Frank Military, yeah. want to hear our material, yeah. get familiar with it. So I'm there with the guitar singing, Joe, uh, I've just written this song called Hideaway. Yeah. A really nice, powerful tune. Not the instrumental. No. Right. Um and and uh, so Joe says to them, I want you to hear this. Uh, I want you to hear this. Uh, we're working on a rock opera. Yeah. Play the song for him. So, so Joe convinces them that the song Hideaway is a piece of a rock opera that we're writing. <laughs> Got a good hustle, that dude. Yeah. Yeah. yeah he was a beauty. <laughs> so, um, you know, they hear yeah. Hideaway and it's terrific. And, you know, so, uh, yeah, they, they have the hot new team here all the rest of the guys were much older and established you getting paid oh yeah oh good yeah so the kids eating you get money yeah. to your siblings yeah yeah. yeah 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 oh good um when i got the advance for signing with uh with atco i bought them each a bike um uh, my sweetie and i went home i took my sister back yeah uh, and uh, we made a triumphant tour of the bars in Charlotte <laughs> Amalia, yeah. and and bought the boys a bicycle each, and and really. What about your old, your mother? Uh, Muds somewhere. Yeah, don't know uh, where. Uh, okay, somewhere. Yeah. Um. So you're writing a rock opera. Well, so now we're writing a rock opera. And There's never been a rock opera at this point. There's been no rock opera. There's been no thought about writing a rock opera. <laughs> I've never even seen a musical except I saw West Side Story right. so, in the theater. Right. No Godspell, no Jesus Christ Superstar, no, no Tommy. No, no, no. Yeah, nothing. Um, anyway, so um, so we're discussing what we're going to write and blah, blah. The You know, we, this is uh, anti-war time. Yeah. People are, we are out on the street yeah. protesting, my yeah. partner and I, um, uh, trying to make change in the world. So what we decide we're going to do is is tell the story of the music business, what it's really like. 
uh-huh. what it really does to artists, what it the impact it has on the society. Yeah, what kind of characters are shaping everyone's destiny? And you've got a lot of fresh bile. Yeah, we're gonna write this, and uh, <laughs> and and it's gonna be the follow up to to uh, South Atlantic Blues. Yeah. Um, and it's going to change the music business. Yeah, you got a little bit of fuck you in you? A whole lot. Of, yeah. A lot. <laughs> yeah. Um, a whole lot of that in yeah. soon also. Yeah. Really. Anyway, so so we write this fabulous piece of work. This yeah. is not an entertainment. Yeah. This is an, 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 an expose of the dishonesty and the ridiculous characters yeah. that uh, that that run the ship yeah uh so we have pretty much the score and and Vicky Sue Robinson and I are are doing the vocals yeah. and singing the tunes yeah Vicky is our our dear dear friend um and so we we interest uh Edgar Bronfman yeah the owner of Seagrams yeah and uh, so we've got them on board and blah, blah, blah. And, and before we know it, we're in the Anderson Theater where we'd seen Janis Joplin yeah. um, doing rehearsals. And we're on our way to the Ritz Theater on uh, 48th between Broadway and 8th Avenue. Uh-huh. Um, and this piece is going to change the music business. And 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 it's going to be the follow up to South Atlantic Blues. Yeah. And if they didn't get South Atlantic Blues, they're going to get this. Yeah. And uh, and so um, the the producers want certain changes uh, so they can pre-sell tickets to right. the ladies that come in on sure. on Wednesdays and Tuesdays and, and Sundays. Matinees, yeah. The nice ladies sure. with blue hair. The theater ladies. Yes. And that's a fine thing. Mark. Yeah, I know. But I know. it wasn't fine in that yeah. time, in that moment. No, you guys had something to no, say. No, 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 no. We're yeah. serious yeah. dudes. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so we wouldn't make the changes they want. Sure. Good for you. So, uh, <laughs> so, so I was doing the lead, and um, and uh, so we were fired. Yeah. And barred from the theater. Uh huh. Um. The director, who was our co-writer, Robbie Robert Greenwald, who gone on to do wonderful things with uh with brave new films he's the one that's doing uh he, he's the guy that did uh, burning bed and the love canal and uh-huh. all this stuff um uh, and uh, and so we're barred from the theater they bring some uh, they bring gerald friedman in who was an early director of hair to uh-huh. make it an entertainment and they fire me and bring barry bostwick in who's a, a a theater guy yeah sure and um rocky horror picture show and uh and so they go back into rehearsal and um the score it really really is very good um we had the best cast yeah. imaginable my understudy was richard gear oh yeah 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 peter <laughs> allen played the manager no kidding yeah um vicky sue robinson uh, Nell Carter. These are great, great, great. Vocalists. So you, you, so you did. You couldn't go in the theater, but you still wrote the thing. Yeah, yeah. Robert is flaming angry. Yeah. Uh, Robert's father is a psychiatrist, 
His mother is a psychologist. Uh-huh. Robert is livid. So Kakulis and I are trying to talk our friend down a little bit. Come on, Ed, man, we, we'll figure it out. Peace and love and yeah. blah, blah, blah. Robert says, fuck that shit. I'm getting even. Um, so we say, well, you can't be angry like that. He said, fuck that shit. I'm using my anger. His father, the psychiatrist, had told him, yeah. oh, you got to direct that anger. That anger will really move you along. Yeah. His mother concurred with that. So yeah. Robert used that, directed, subliminated that anger towards becoming successful. He said, oh, fuck him. I'm going to get even. I'm going to get successful. Robert won uh, um, a Tony with uh, Ain't Misbehaving okay. years later. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> with Nell Carter. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so uh, he wound up at the Center Theater Group here, mm-hmm. and um, and Gordon Davidson was in New York, and, and I was invited up to his hotel room to sing the score for him. Which what I was the name of the show? Soon. Yeah. So we, uh, we came out here and did it at the Pilgrimage right. Theater there. 72. Yeah. Yeah. Um, How'd it go over? Oh, really well. Oh, good. Um, but we didn't get it recorded. We, Joe and I were immediately fired from our, our writing gig. Right. And, and he, dropped Yeah, right. dropped from uh, uh, my deal with uh, Epic. Um, that was after ATCO? Yeah. Uh-huh. And no recording exists of it? Well, we did a, a little live recording on a on a woolen sack and a cassette mm-hmm. a very rough thing which i tried to clean up yeah um, not long ago in new york we were in the studio a long time trying to get it cleaned up and um i get a call one day or, or an email from a you know there's a parallel universe of broadway collectors yeah that's all that exists in that universe is people that collect Broadway stuff. Yeah. So one of them called me and says, "We are. Don't you have any recordings that soon? Can I have what mm-hmm. do you got?" Blah. I said, "No, there's no recordings." Said, "Oh yeah, well a guy just donated his collection to the Library of Congress, and there's a recording of soon in there." It turned out that uh, a dude had stuffed a cassette in his inside overcoat uh-huh. pocket and. It recorded it in the theater there, and it's full of snuffles and burps and stuff. <laughs> it's there, you know. Yeah. I don't want that to be my legacy in the Library of Congress because it, uh, our piece is sung through. There's yeah. no dialogue. Right. And they brought this dude in, and he's stuck in all this square dialogue and yeah. blah, 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 and stuff that is to be amusing to the Tuesday afternoon ladies. Sure. Um which is another reason I absolutely have to get soon recorded something, and I will. Um, anyway, so I wrote the, like, call the Library of Congress, and they sent it on to me, and I, and I have it there next to uh, the California recording. Uh-huh. And and I think that uh, Chris Campion... Is going to put it out? I think that we're going to get it re-released. So you do, the, you do the soon, and that doesn't go. So, well, not only did it not go, it sunk my career. Yeah. We were fired and barred and 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 bang. So uh, we were back to uh, hustling tunes. 
And and after the experience of Soon, Kakulis never wrote another song. And what did you do? Well, I hustled songs and and I sang and and Mark, fuck them. They're not going to turn me around. They're yeah. not going to turn me around. So I've been at it all the time. Yeah, all the time out there singing, singing, writing. Um, some of every scriffle in the world. I I have uh, five children. I had to take care of them. There's there's nothing I haven't done except sell weed and yeah. dope. I just yeah. don't do that. Um, but uh, but some of everything. Huh. What was your what was your moment of clarity? You know, I am a child and grandchild of alcoholics. Yeah. So I through my life and these eight marriages and my mother's swore swore I would never be like that yeah I will never be like that right I won't be like them um and when I when I discovered look I had juice next to the bed I couldn't wake up in the morning without juice are there cigarette butts in there too bad for them yeah are there cockroaches too bad for them yeah um, I, I mean, my mother died, and I couldn't get sober. I mean, I could not. After you moved catch her to myself. New York, yeah, um, I was in the islands doing a gig. Yeah, we came back the second day we were back. Um, Annie comes running up. I have a, my twins, Lily and Archie. Their mother's name is Annie. Yeah, uh, comes running up and said something happened to mud. So uh, we go down there, and she has gone kaput. Um, and so I love my mother as much or more as anyone else. Um, but um, but I, you know, I, I've been on a long gig in the islands and and uh, drinking hard. Um, and and when she died. Um, I just somehow, you know, our tolerance grows yeah. through the years and then suddenly it collapses. And there you're left strung out. You're left addicted with no ability to tolerate or, or process it. Yeah. So that was a state. Well, of course, I didn't know that. Then. Right. Um, that was a state. I, I, I had lost my tolerance, but I was addicted to the substance. Um, and I couldn't get sober. I mean, people were... I couldn't write a song. I couldn't concentrate enough to write. Um, people were wanting me to do work. Come on, Scott, do a vocal here for us, blah, 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 blah. Um, and I realized that I'd become that which I despised most. And I'm standing in the window. We had this beautiful old brownstone one windows around the corners I'm standing with my twins in my arms they're a year and a half old or something and I'm thinking I should jump out the window um, and and I got so disgusted with myself for my grandfather by the way had stopped his car in front of a train and committed suicide when my mother and her twin were nine years old and, and they'd never gotten over it. 
So I'm thinking this and I'm saying I'm, I'm, I'm completely disgusted with my cowardice. I'm thinking to kill myself uh, and, 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 and affect all these children forever uh, rather than confessing that I'd become strung out on the juice and had to let it go. So I decided that whether I never laughed again, whether I never sang again, um, I was going to be more for these children than my people had been for me. And you did it. And, by, well, it's a miracle. And when did you find out about Stephen uh, Merritt? So I... Uh, Magnetic fields. I'm in Oxford, Mississippi. What are you doing there? Um, my the the mother of my youngest yeah uh, my youngest little girl yeah holiday um, and I she's going to Ole Miss yeah so my ex wife Annie calls I just heard there's a kid on the radio saying you're his father what's going on so. Uh, Apparently, Stephen was on Fresh Air. Yeah, with Terry, yeah. Terry Gross, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, had announced that his father was Scott Fagan. He never reached out to you? No. He well, just heard I, it. I think that was his reach out. <laughs> that was it. Yeah. <laughs> so a friend of Annie's had heard this and called Annie, and Annie went ballistic, even though she's my ex-wife and I'm with a new woman and a uh, new child. Yeah. Look, people love each other, sure, and and express it in the strangest ways, uh-huh. and and I have no animosity towards any of them. Yeah. And the fact is, I failed every one of them. Yeah, that every one of them thought I was I was the man who was going to change their lives. Clearly, he's going to be successful. Uh-huh. Um, and I and I disappointed every one of them. So. And I wish to God that I hadn't disappointed them. And I hope to God that I can do something to change everyone's life going forward. Anyway, who's this kid that's saying you're his father? So um, so I called, uh, you know, I tracked down, and they put me in touch with um, a booking agency in Chicago, Red Rider or something. Uh-huh. And, they put me in touch with Claudia Gonson, who's uh, Stephen's manager, uh-huh. and the drummer in the band. Great, great woman. Um, and so we began uh, email correspondence. You and Stephen, yeah. And he's a he's a great musician. Uh, he's terrific. Yeah. Um, but I have to tell you, the music doesn't start with me. Right. My pop was a great singer. Right. And a, and a great tenor man. But you didn't know this son of yours, and, and so you're emailing, and what's that? how's it unfold? I'll tell you in a yeah. moment. So, and, but my father's mother yeah. was an orphan girl from Scotland who yeah. was a barroom singer. Uh, her people had died in the Spanish flu. Mm-hmm. So the music goes back on that side and the other side. And, and uh, so there's this, Kid, so we start this correspondence, and uh, they're just releasing this album, uh, 69 Love Songs. Yeah. So we're in Oxford, Mississippi, which is an interesting place. Yeah. You've been there? Yeah, it's where Faulkner's from. Yeah. Yeah. 
yeah, it's a really interesting yeah. place. And they have the greatest little bookstore in the South is right there on the square. Yeah. And they have a little ice cream parlor upstairs. It's really a little dish, a little dish of ice cream. Yeah. I, I take my little girl holiday there, and we'd sit there and the books and eat the ice cream. Yeah. Anyway, so I went to a, a little record store there and bought this album, '69 yeah. Love Song." Yeah. And I put it on, and it was the strangest feeling. Every one of those tunes, every one of the songs, seemed to me like something I'd started and hadn't finished. Yeah. Why? I wouldn't turn it that way. I would have taken it this way. And there's this kid singing in my baritone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I couldn't freaking believe it. I couldn't believe it. And, and here's 69 <laughs> songs, for God's sake. And did you did you like the record? Well, I did because he's a great writer. Yeah. And, and I... I Excuse me, but I like that vocal, too. Sure. And do you have a relationship with him now? Yeah, yeah. So, um, um, a year or two later, uh, we got his mother involved in the relationship also. Um, who? And that was that woman in the islands, right? Yes, yeah. That you had the fling with? Yeah, yeah. For four months? Yeah. Uh-huh. So, he was actually planted on a houseboat in St. Thomas. Um, anyway, so uh, they were doing a movie about Doc Palmas. Yeah. And 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 I was invited to be part of that and so I went to New York for some, did some interviews and did maybe some 10 minutes in the film or something. And so they're going to do uh, the premiere at uh, Lincoln Center. Yeah. So I said, well, this might be an interesting time for them because the, the mom knows Doc Promise. And, uh, and, and I hear the same structure you were talking about in my songs, in his songs. Mm -hmm. So I hear an influence of that. Whether it's real or not, I, that, I hear that. Yeah. And so I, so I invite them to come to the premiere. And by God, um, sitting there, and uh, and up comes this perfectly straight-looking woman um, in her late sixties. Who the hell is this? Yeah, this is. Uh, I used to call her Lotus Blossom down in the island. <laughs> yeah, um, she uh, is actually an English teacher, and uh, and uh, her name is Alex now. And, uh huh. And then here comes a kid that looks surprisingly like me. Sure. Not so surprisingly, area. yeah. Um, with a bodyguard. He's brought a bodyguard along. Uh, uh, he's very funny. I mean, he, he says, look, he, he was avoiding me because God knows when I might need a kidney or something. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, so we, we uh, met and, and had a great time. That's sweet. And then uh, we met again uh, when it opened in a, a movie down in the, a theater down in the East Village. Mm -hmm. And a um, lot of email. And then we met again at a uh, couple more times. And 
I've spent a fair amount of time with Alex, and uh, we email back odd comments. Huh, that's great. Yeah, yeah, we'll do some work someday. Well, that's a great story, man, and, and you survived, and you're sober, and you're doing good things for other sober people, and you're still making music, and this record is rediscovered. It's fantastic, and 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 I think that most of my success um, can be traced to the fact that my mother made me promise to always be nice. How's your voice? Good? Holding up? Um, yeah, surprisingly well. I mean, that's... I've... I've been singing, I do, I vocalize all the time. Great. I've been singing all through these years. Great. And um, I, I'm, I'm really I'm really happy to say it's, it's really, I mean, this little gruff stuff I'm doing with you, I shouldn't ever oh, do. Oh, no, 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 I, I just well, was curious. It yeah. messes with the pipes, but yeah, thank goodness, Mark, um, well, you singing know, is good. I'll tell you, Scott, it's, it's a hell of a story, and I'm sure there's a lot more, and I'm just happy that, uh, you know, this turn happened, because, uh, you know, you you definitely paid your dues, man. Well, uh, you know, <laughs> all I did was do my best and be nice, and by God, if I knew that was the key to success, I'd have done that long ago. <laughs> well, thanks for talking to me. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Okay, I would, I'd go get that record. It's beautiful, and you can do that today. Yeah, it's nice, and it'll take you someplace, and it'll, it'll be sweet uh, on Thanksgiving. So, again, go to WTFPod.com for all your WTF Pod needs. Go to WTFPodTour.com. I've got upcoming dates in the spring, but uh, December 3rd in Chicago. Also, come back tomorrow and check your podcast feed for something new. We got some surprises every Friday for the rest of the year. So check it out. I think you're going to like it. We're going to go into the vault that I didn't even know existed. I'm going to play a little guitar because uh, it'll be nice. Should I make it nice or should I make it, should I lean in? Screwed up a little. Happy Thanksgiving. Boomer lives!